0: Welcome to New Piney Grove Baptist Church where one of our core values is Christian education. Let's tune in to this week's message. David is no doubt the greatest king of all the kings of Israel. As a testimony to his greatness, David was acknowledged by God as being a man after God's own heart. Yet David's life was characterized by a state of constant warfare. I going to say that again. David, in all of his greatness, lies or characterized by a state of constant, I mean constant, warfare. But perhaps the best known of all these conflicts was when he fought a giant by the name of Goliath. Now, on the surface, David was an underdog. Goliath, according to records, if you look at the numbers in today's standards, was over 9 feet 6 inches tall and weighed as much as 860 pounds. David Baldress consists of a bronze helmet, a metal vest, fish-like scales vest. He also had knee-to-thigh-iron boots. Not only that, David had an armor-bearer, an individual that went before him, who had a shield that was ten feet tall, made of steel. Goliath's weapon consisted of a javelin, uh, or, or, or a spear, whatever you want to call it, a long stick that weighed 25 pounds. And the head on this spear weighed 15 pounds. And David also had a very large sword. Hmm. David was known as the undefeated champion. Many had came against, excuse me, Goliath was known as the undefeated champion. Many had came against him and they all lost. He was a veteran military man. David, on the other hand, was a young boy, somewhere between 17 and 19 years old, with no military experience whatsoever. According to the stripper, his only weapon was a sling made of leather. And he went to the riverbed and got five small stones. All his weapons were natural. Physically, David was greatly overmatched. But David had what we might call a secret weapon. Now, the weapon, mind you, was not in the sling of the stone. These were physical things. David's secret weapon was in knowledge, brother teacher. And knowledge that the warfare he was engaged in was not his battle, but it was the Lord. May I submit to you as I listen to our director of Christian education, Jeff Brothers, that many of us are losing wars today because we're trying to fight a spiritual battle with fleshly weapons. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul echoed this same principle. But unlike David, Paul's enemy was inside. They weren't from a foreign country. They were from fellow Jews who professed Christianity. But like David, the Apostle Paul understood that the battle was not his, but the Lord's. Lest you forget, let me give you the point of the message right now. Every Christian leader, brothers, will experience warfare. You want experience warfare from enemies and from so-called friends. And looking at the example of these two men will teach us not only how to fight, but what to fight with. And since it's God's battle, if we're going to be victorious, it's imperative that we learn to use God's weapons. Now, while we are going to deal a little bit with Paul, our main focus this morning is going to be on this young shepherd boy, David. As I began to glean this test, I found three things that we can learn from David's warfare to be successful in our own. Number one, don't focus on the physical. Don't focus on the physical. You get past this, the other two, it it, it may be easy. But if you can't get past this, you ain't going to get to the other two. Don't focus on the physical. And I know it's hard. Hear me now, the battle against the Philistine and Goliath was Saul's responsibility, not David. But Saul, who was over six feet tall, compared his physical stature to that of Goliath, who was over nine feet tall. Saul wasn't a dummy. He could add up. That's three feet different. Saul also had a shield and a spear, but they weren't like Goliath's spear and shield. So, 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 in his mind, as he calculated, he was focusing on the physical and it didn't add up. Saul was mentally defeated before the battle began. If we begin to look at the physical, when we are fighting a spiritual war, we are mentally defeated before we even start. We say things I can't, and you're right, you can. But do you believe that God can? But there was another reason that Saul was defeated. And that leads us to number two. Spiritual warfare requires spiritual people. That's why Apostle Paul said, uh, if someone is called in a fault, those who are spiritual, let them rest- re- restore one such a one. You're going to have some type of spiritual battle If you're a leader, whether in the home or in the church. And people are going to do some things that's going to hurt your feeling, going to come up against you. But if you try to fight that the way they're fighting it. You lost before you start. Spiritual warfare requires spiritual people. Let me read a scripture for you and then we're going to talk about it. First Samuel, chapter 16, verse 14. But the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a distressing spirit from the Lord troubled him. Just want to kind of just give you a little history on this. Saul was not only mentally defeated, but he was spiritually disqualified. In verse thirteen we record the anointing of David when God had made up his mind that Saul could no longer be king. He told uh, Samuel, the prophet, go to Jesse's house and I'm going to show you who's going to be the next king. When, Saul, when Samuel went through all of Jesse's son and found David, he said he is the one. And it said that when he anointed David, the spirit of the Lord came upon David. But it departed from Saul. So David was spiritually qualified to fight a spiritual battle. Saul was not. Sometimes we're disqualified before we begin. Because Saul, y'all hear me now, did not have the spirit of God. He was incapable of recognizing that this was God's battle, not his. Can I encourage you to, as Jeff was bringing out, that if you're a Christian, you got an enemy automatically. You're in a war. Everything that happened to you, don't take it personal. Look at the fact this is a spiritual battle. If you think about the events of Job who went through more hell than we could ever think about, it was a spiritual battle Something was going on underneath the sea. If we, husband and wife, when we are having issues of intense fellowship, if we can look below the surface and see the strength that God wants to give us, that it's a spiritual battle, not a physical battle, we'll have success. This morning when we talked about how well Satan undermined God's plan by going to the woman and then Adam just followed right along. But that was a spiritual thing, and in your life, a lot of time it's spiritual. A lot of us are going through problems with our kids. And yeah, you don't 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 spare a rod. I'll be the first one to say that. Sometimes you have to beat the devil out of them. I don't know. But recognize that this is a spiritual battle. Satan is trying to get my child. Some of us having problems on the job. And we're doing everything we can to win that battle. But if you say, oh, wait a minute. I'm a child of God. So this has got to be a spiritual battle. And fight it in a spiritual way. See, the cause of Saul's distress was the fact he didn't have the spirit and this stressed him out. So when Goliath spoke these words, he was terrified. 1 Samuel 17, verse 10. And the Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that may fight together. When Saul, verse 11 starts out, and all Israel heard these words of the Philistines, they were dismayed and afraid of coming back to them. Here's a scenario. Every morning for 40 days, Goliath will come and stand in the valley. Israel on one side, the Philistine army on the other. And he will come out there with his armor bearer, his sword in his hand. I defy Israel to send me a man. Ain't no sense us us go on the war one, uh, together. I'll fight him one on one. If he wins, we'll be your servant. We win, you be our servant. For 40 days, he will come. And say the same thing. Challenging. God's folk. Now this word defy. Means to touch. Or to bring reproach. It is used to describe. A put down. You want to put down somebody. You know some of us got some. Real sharp words. We can put down somebody. In a heartbeat. game But for us, it would be equivalent to, I dare you. I just simply dare you. In my neighborhood, the Summer Hill, they would say, I double-dog dare you. This talk or dare was solely to embarrass someone. It was designed to bring shame upon. And this shame of being a coward or a wimp was going to always remain to somebody to take up the dare. I'm reminded of Andy Griffin. I'm a guy, kind I'm of a fan. Opie was being confronted with this bully. And this bully was a bad dude, and everybody was scared. But finally, Opie made up his mind that he was going take up the dare. The bully drew a line and said, step over this line. Opie stepped over. And the bully put a chip on the shoulder and said, knock this chip off my shoulder. Opie knocked it off. And the bully said, well, you guys ain't no fun, no way. I'm gonna leave. Until that moment, Opie was ashamed. He was branded in Mayberry as a coward but he took up the dare. I want you to know something. It said all of Israel they saw fear and depression was contagious. Oh y'all missed that. The leaders Fear was contagious. Well, you know, Saul, he's, he's taller than anybody here. You know, he, he was chosen to be king. He's scared, so I'm scared. I'm going to give you another real example. There was a, a young girl, I think she was about seven years old. He was, you know, most times she spent with her, her parents and she went to see grandmama one day, and it was raining one of those Georgia storms, and it was raining, lightning, and thunder, and all that. And the little kid was still playing, but grandmama heard it like, ah! and the little kid looked at her. And the next time along that little kid went off. That kid was not afraid of lightning until she saw grandmama being afraid of it, and she said, "If grandmama was afraid, I'm gonna be afraid, cause it must be something I fear." So you keep in mind, your fear is contagious. But likewise, so is your faith. If someone will see you stand up in the midst of adversity, they don't have no problem standing up themselves. Nobody, none of these men of the mighty army of the Lord took up I dare you. But David, who was on an errand for his father, came to the battlefield. And when he heard this giant, it disturbed him. David viewed this giant's taunt and expressions of shame personally. He looked at it as a response that, that, that was talking about his God so David acted quickly and decisively. Verse 26 of 1 Samuel 17 Then David spoke to the man who stood by him saying what shall be done to the man who killed this Philistine? And take away the reproach from Israel. For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? David was not intimidated at all by Goliath's sighs or Goliath's words. This word reproach means shame. And David took it personally. The last words were not just an insult unto the army of God. It was an insult to all of Israel who were the people of God. So he had, he had insulted the living God. And David was not going to let the Lord be embarrassed. Side note, while Saul would not or refuse to step up to the plate and do what a king should do, he did, however, issue a reward for any man that would. And David wanted to know, what is this reward? First of all, they're going to give him the king's daughter, going to make him a king's son-in-law. You read on, you find out David wasn't a whole bunch interested in that. Go and give him some fun. He wasn't interested in that either. But it was going to also make his family tax exempt. if you know anything about Samuel prophecy before Saul became king, he told him he was going to tax you heavily. Saul was taxing the people heavily, and David was interested in this. He wasn't concerned about himself. And this brings us to the third thing. It's not what you fight with. is who you fight for. Do you realize that when our family is in disarray and we are Christians, it's embarrassing to God? You realize when church goes through all kinds of negative stuff, it's an embarrassment to God? And we try to fix these things with physical remedies ain't gonna work. I don't care what you got the width with, when you put this in the right perspective, this is for God. That's where a lot of people have problem with tithing. They're looking at the with, which is the money, instead of the who, which is God. And we say it all the time. You can't beat God's giving. Oh, you don't believe it. David knew the weapons he was up against. He could see the shield, the spear, the helmet. He could see all this. But David also knew that he was fighting for a cause that was greater than himself. His warfare was to protect the honor and the glory of the Lord. And this gave David assurance of victory. Look at verse 46 as we skip down. After this back and forth of words, Goliath looks at David and calls him a dog. Well, well, you say, you you sending a dog to me? And David goes toward Goliath and David speaks directly to his enemy. Y'all getting this? Verse 46. He's speaking directly to his enemy. Do you speak directly to your enemy or to the thing that you fear? Now, and I want y'all to get this. Now, don't, don't miss this. David could have looked at the shield and talked to the shield. He could have looked at the spear and talked to the spirit. But the, the, the spear, he could have looked at the armor bearer and talked to him. Wherever you encounter with a spiritual warfare, don't talk to the armor bearer. Don't, don't talk to the spear. Talk to the enemy. Now, notice what he said. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand. I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day, I will give the carcass of the camp of the Philistine to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Is there a God in you? Is there a God in your house? Now get this now. The battle was not between the javelin, the sword, and the spear versus the sling and stone. These were only physical weapons. David knew that he was engaged in a spiritual warfare. The true battle was between Dagon, God, that's the God of the Philistine, and Yahweh or Jehovah, the God of Israel. And that's why David knew who he was fighting for and why. So a lot of times we know who we are fighting for. When we battle for love, we don't know why. And, 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 and See, that's what got Job in, in trouble. Job didn't know why. And if you don't know why, fight until you do. Verse 47. David continued. He said, then, after I kick your butt, Then all the assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord. Can y'all say that? The battle is the Lord. Whoever hell you're going through now, the battle is the Lord. And he will deliver you into my hand. The proof of the superiority of Jehovah over Dagon was manifested by the defeat of Goliath. David ran toward this big old giant, put one stone in that sling, let that sucker go and it hit Goliath right in the forehead. Stone sunk in his head, but that didn't kill him. That just knocked him out. When Goliath fell, David went over and took that very sword that was so big, stuck it in him and then cut his hair off. We can use the enemies too for victory. The victory was a testimony. To everyone around that the battle don't depend upon the number or the size of physical weapons. This principle is also illustrated in Paul's New Testament writing, where he says in Second Corinthians chapter 10 verses three. For we walk in the flesh, but we do not war according to the flesh. Paul was saying the spiritual warfare demands the use of spiritual weapon. A successful warfare can only be waged and only be won in the spiritual realm. This means we must abandon our spiritual weapon and place our total reliance Excuse me, we must abandon our worldly weapons and totally rely upon spiritual weapons to ensure the victory. One of the biggest worldly weapons we use is our tongue. When we learn to keep our mouth shut and learn how to pray, one of our songs that we sang here said, Victory belonged to Jesus. Paul goes on saying, verse four: For the weapons of our warfare are not calm, they're not fleshly, but they're mighty in pulling down strongholds. What strongholds? They're satanic fortresses fortified by Satan, which can't be penetrated with worldly weapons. And these fortified positions will crumble if our weapons are spiritual. Look at what he says: Casting down arguments. Let them argue by themselves while you praying. I know it's a temptation. It's hard to say we want to get that, but they say something we gonna say, but we got to get back. We got to say something. It's something on this side. Folks, that's your flesh. And he said, every high thing that exhausts it itself against the knowledge of God. You know what that is? Pride. If I don't say nothing, if I don't do something, I lose this battle. Then said, bring every thought into captivity and obedience Christ. What are you thinking? Even sometimes when we have the sense to shut up, what you thinking? Let God captivate that thought. Say to yourself, I'm thinking wrong. E- even though whatever's going on, I want to get back, and that's what I'm thinking. If I could just do it, what's in my mind? But I'm thinking wrong. David understood this very well. And although throughout all of David's life, he had warfare. He fought with the knowledge that the battle was the Lord. David had battled against King Saul, which someone that should have been grateful to all the things he did. But he fought it with the knowledge, the battle is not the Lord. David had battled with his son, Absalom, who wanted to take the kingdom from him, but David had knowledge that the battle was not here. And of course, David had knowledge that Goliath was his enemy, but he fought it with the knowledge that the battle was God. Is it any wonder that David wrote this in Psalm 3 and 3? But thou, O Lord, art a shield for me, the glory and the lifter of my head. Is it any wonder that David wrote in Psalm 27, more, the Lord is the light of my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life, whom shall I be afraid? Isn't it one that David wrote in Psalm twenty-three, four? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me, and thy rod and thy staff comfort me. Songwriter and singer Josh Sherman penned it this way: "The Lord is my shepherd." He goes before me. Defender behind me, I won't fear. I'm filled with anointing. My cup overfloweth. No weapon can harm me. I won't fear. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I am not alone. He is my comfort. Always hold me close. He always guides me through mountain and valley. His joy refreshing restores my soul. Mercy and goodness gives me assurance that I will see His glory face to face. Again, His name. Hallelujah. I am not alone. He is my comfort. Always hold me close. Hallelujah. I am not alone. Then he changes and says, Your spirit live within me. So I will walk in your peace. Your spirit live within me. My victory. My victory. Why is it his victory? Because victory belongs to Jesus. There are some of you here today who may not know the Lord as your shepherd. You have balance in your life. Seems like you're losing more of them than you're winning. But there's a greater battle going on, and that's a battle for your soul. And the two people that are for it, the devil and the Lord. But Jesus gave his life to you, and that's what this Sunday is all about. He desires to fight your battle, so you will know you will not be alone. But you must allow him to be your savior before he becomes your shepherd. Will you stand with me now? Thanks for listening. We pray that you have been blessed by the message. Visit us on the web at npgbc dot o r g for contact information service times or directions to our place of worship